50. You quarters springing up on both banks of the Danube. This process is still going on, and Budapest has become one of the handsomest capitals of Europe. Education. Budapest is the intellectual capital of Hungary. At the head of its educational institutions stands the university, which was attended in 1900 by 4983 students only about 2000 in 1880 and has a staff of nearly 200 professors and lecturers. It has been completely transformed into a national Hungarian seat of learning since 1867, and great efforts have been made to keep at home the Hungarian students, who before then frequented other universities and especially that of Vienna. It is well provided with scientific laboratories, botanic garden, and various collections, and possesses a library with nearly a quarter of a million volumes. The University of Budapest, the only one in Hungary proper, was established at Tier now in 1635, removed to Buda in 1777, and transferred to Pest in 1783. Next to it comes the Polytechnic, attended by 1816 students in 1900, which is also thoroughly equipped for a scientific training. Other high schools are a veterinary academy, a Roman Catholic seminary, a Protestant theological college, a rabbinical institute, a commercial academy, which has been added in 1899 an academy for the study of oriental languages and military academies for the training of hungarian officers budapest possesses an adequate number of elementary and secondary schools as well as a great number of special and technical schools at the head of the scientific society stands the academy of sciences founded in 1825 for the encouragement of the study of the hungarian language and the various sciences except theology Next to it comes the National Museum, founded in 1807 through the donations of Count Stefan Sechimai, which contains extensive collections of antiquities, natural history and ethnology, and a rich library which, in its manuscript department of over 20.000 MSS, contains the oldest specimens of the Hungarian language, another society which has done great service for the cultivation of the Hungarian language is the Kisfeliti Society founded in 1836. It began by distributing prizes for the best literary productions of the year. Then it started the collection and publication of the Hungarian folklore, and lastly undertook the translation into the Hungarian language of the masterpieces of foreign literatures. The influence exercised by this society is very great, and it has attracted within its circle the best writers of Hungary. Another society similar in aim with this one is the Petoifi Society, founded in 1875. Amongst the numerous scientific associations are the Central Statistical Department, and the Budapest Communal Bureau of Statistics, which under the directorship of Dr. Joseph de Corozzi has gained a European reputation. The artistic life in Budapest is fostered by the Academy of Music, which once had Franz Liszt as its director, a conservatoire of music, a dramatic school, and a school for painting and for drawing, all maintained by the government. Budapest possesses besides an opera house, eight theaters, of which two are subsidized by the government and one by the municipality. The performances are almost exclusively in Hungarian, the exceptions being the occasional appearance of French, Italian and other foreign artists. Performances in German are under a popular taboo, and they are never given in a theater at Budapest. Trade, in commerce and industry Budapest is by far the most important town in Hungary, and in the former, if not also in the latter. It is second to Vienna alone in the Austro-Hungarian monarchy. The principal industries are steam flour milling, distilling, and the manufacture of machinery, railway plant, carriages, cutlery, 
gold and silver wares, chemicals, bricks, jute, and the usual articles produced in large towns for home consumption. The trade of Budapest is mainly in corn, flour, cattle, horses, pigs, wines, spirits, wool, wood, hides, and in the articles manufactured in the town. The efforts of the Hungarian government to establish a great home industry, and the measures taken to that effect, have benefited Budapest to a greater degree than any other Hungarian town, and the progress made is remarkable. The increase in the number of joint stock companies, and the capital thus invested in industrial undertakings, furnish a valuable indication. In 1873 there were 28 such companies with a total capital of L2.224.900, in 1890, 75 with a capital of L9.352.000, and in 1899 no fewer than 242 with a total capital of L31.378.655. Budapest owes its great commercial importance to its situation on the Danube, on which the greater part of its trade is carried. The introduction of steamboats on the Danube in 1830 was one of the earliest material causes of the progress of Budapest, and gave a great stimulus to its corn trade. This still continues to operate, having been promoted by the flour milling industry, which was revolutionized by certain local inventions. Budapest is actually one of the greatest milling centers in the world, possessing a number of magnificent establishments, fitted with machinery invented and manufactured in the city. Budapest Island besides, connected with all the principal places in Austria and Hungary by a well-developed net of railways, which all radiate from here. Population. Few European towns grew so rapidly as Budapest generally, and Pest particularly, during the 19th century, and probably none has witnessed such a thorough transformation since 1867. In 1799 the joint population of Buda and Pest was 54.179 of which 24.306 belonged to Buddha, and 29.870 belonged to Pest, being the first time that the population of Pest exceeded that of Buddha, by 1840. However, Buddha had added but 14.000 to its population while that of Pest had more than doubled, and of the joint population of 270.685 in 1869, fully 200.000 fell to the share of Pest. In 1880 the civil population of Budapest was 360.551, an increase since 1869 of 32, and in 1890 it was 491.938, an increase of 36.57 in the decade. In the matter of the increase of its population alone, Budapest has only been slightly surpassed by one European town, namely, Berlin. Both capitals multiplied their population by nine in the first nine decades of the century, according to an interesting and instructive comparison of the growth of 28 European cities made by Dr. Joseph de Corozzi. Berlin in 1890 showed an increase, as compared with the beginning of the century, of 818 and Budapest of 809. Within the same period the increase of Paris was 343, and of London 340. In 1900 the civil population of Budapest was 716.476 inhabitants, showing an increase of 44.82 in the decade. To this must be added a garrison of 15.846 men, making a total population 732.322. Of the total population, civil and military, 578.458 were Magyars, 104.520 were Germans. 25.168 were Slovaks, 
and the remainder was composed of Croatians, Serbians, Romanians, Russians, Greeks, Armenians, Gypsies, and C. According to a religion, there were 445.023 Roman Catholics, 5806 Greek Catholics, 4422 Greek Orthodox, 67.319 were Protestants of the Helvetic, and 38.811 were Protestants of the Augsburg Confessions, 168.985 were Jews, and the remainder belonged to various other creeds. A striking feature in the progress of Budapest is the decline in the death rate which sank from 43.4 per thousand in 1874 to 20.6 per thousand in 1900. In addition to the increased influx of V.04P.0681 persons in the prime of life, this is due largely to the improved water supply and better sanitary conditions generally, including increased hospital accommodation, social position. Budapest is the seat of the government of Hungary, of the parliament, and of all the highest official authorities civil, military, judicial and financial, it is the meeting place, alternately with Vienna, of the Austro-Hungarian delegations, and it was elected to an equality with Vienna as a royal residence in 1892, it is the see of a Roman Catholic Archbishop, the town is administered by an elected municipal council, which consists of 400 members, as Paris is sometimes said to be France, so may Budapest with almost greater truth be said to be Hungary. Its composite population is a faithful reflection of the heterogeneous elements in the dominions of the Habsburgs, while the trade and industry of Hungary are centralized at Budapest in a way that can scarcely be affirmed of any other European capital. In virtue of its cultural institutions, it is also the intellectual and artistic center of Hungary. The movement in favor of Magyarizing all institutions has found its strongest development in Budapest, where the German names have all been removed from the buildings and streets. The wonderful progress of Budapest is undoubtedly due to the revival of the Hungarian national spirit in the first half of the 19th century, and to the energetic and systematic efforts of the government and people of Hungary since the restoration of the constitution. So far as Hungary was concerned, Budapest in 1867 at once became the favored rival of Vienna, with the important additional advantage that it had no such competitors within its own sphere as Vienna had in the Austrian provincial capitals. The political intellectual, and social life of Hungary was centered in Budapest, and had largely been so since 1848, when it became the seat of the legislature, as it was that of the Austrian central administration which followed the revolution, the ideal of a prosperous, brilliant and attractive Magyar capital, which would keep the nobles and the intellectual flower of the country at home, uniting them in the service of the fatherland, had received a powerful impetus from Count Stefan Sechimai the great Hungarian reformer of the pre-revolutionary period. His work, continued by patriotic and able successors, was now taken up as the common task of the government and the nation. Thus the promotion of the interests of the capital and the centralization of the public and commercial life of the country have formed an integral part of the policy of the state since the restoration of the constitution. Budapest has profited largely by the encouragement of agriculture, trade and industry, by the nationalization of the railways by the development of inland navigation, and also by the neglect of similar measures in favor of Vienna. From that time to the present day the record of the Hungarian capital has been one of an interrupted advance, not merely in externals, such as the removal of slums, the reconstruction of the town, the development of communications, industry and trade, and the erection of important public buildings, but also in the mental, moral and physical elevation of the inhabitants,
besides another important gain from the point of view of the Hungarian statesman, namely, the progressive increase and improvement of status of the Magyar element of the population, when it is remembered that the ideal of both the authorities and the people is the ultimate monopoly of the home market by Hungarian industry and trade, and the strengthening of the Magyar influence by centralization, it is easy to understand the progress of Budapest, politically, this ambitious and progressive capital is the creation of the Magyar upper classes, commercially and industrially, it may be said to be the work of the Jews, the sound judgment of the former led them to welcome and appreciate the company operation of the latter, indeed, a readiness to assimilate foreign elements is characteristic of Magyar patriotism, which has, particularly within the last generation, made numerous converts among the other nationalities of Hungary, and for national purposes may be considered to have quite absorbed the Hungarian Jews. It has thus come to pass that there is no anti-Semitism in Budapest, although the Hebrew element is proportionately much larger 21 as compared with 9 than it is in Vienna, the Mecca of the Jubater. Budapest has long been celebrated for its mineral springs and baths, some of them having been already used during the Roman period. They rise at the foot of the Bloxburg and our powerful Calibia and Salfrius hot springs, with a temperature of 80 degrees 150 degrees there. The principal baths are the Brut Bad and the Kaiser Bad, both dating from the Turkish period, the St. Lucasbad, and the Ritzenbad, rebuilt in 1860. One of the most magnificent establishments of its kind, which was connected through a gallery with the royal palace in the time of Matthias Corvin. There is an artesian well of Salfrius water with a temperature of 153 degrees there, in the Stapwildchen, and another, yielding Salfrius water with a temperature of 110 degrees there, which is used for both drinking and bathing. In the Margaret Island, the mineral springs, which yield bitter alkaline waters, are situated in the plain south of the Bloxburg, and are over 40 in number. The principal are the Hunyadi Janus Spring of which about 1.000.000 bottles are exported annually, the Arpad Spring, and the Apada Spring. The largest and most popular of the parks in Budapest is the Barosligit. On the northeast side of the town, it has an area of 286 acres, and contains the zoological garden. On an island in its large pond are situated the Agricultural 1902-1904 and the Ethnographical Museums. It was in this park that the Millennium Exhibition of 1896 took place. A still more delightful resort is the Margaret Island, a long narrow island in the Danube, the property of the Archduke Joseph, which has been laid out in the style of an English park, with fine trees, velvety turf and a group of villas and bath houses. The name of the island is derived from Saint Margaret, the daughter of King Belaide, 13th century, who built here a convent, the ruins of which are still in existence. To the west of Buda extends the hill 1463 feet of Svabhagishwabenberg. With extensive view and numerous villas, it is ascended by a rack and pinion railway. A favorite spot is the Zuglidjit Hallwinkel, a wooded dale on the northern slope of the hill, to the north of Obuda, about 4 meters from the Margaret Island. On the right bank of the Danube, are the remains of the Roman colony of Akinkum. They include the foundations of an amphitheatre, of a temple, of an aqueduct of baths and of a castrum. The objects found here are preserved in a small museum. To the north of Pest lies the historic Rico's field, where the Hungarian diets were held in the open air from the 10th to the 14th century, and 23 meters to the north lies the royal castle of Goidolilo, with its beautiful park. History. The history of Budapest consists of the separate history of the two sister towns, Buda and Pest. 
the Romans founded, in the 2nd century AD on the right bank of the Danube, on the site of the actual Obuda, a colony, on the place of a former Celtic settlement, this colony was named Akinkun, a transformation from the former Celtic name of A.K. Inc., meaning, rich waters, the Roman occupation lasted till AD 376, and then the place was invaded by Huns, Ostrogoths, and later by Avars and Slavs, when the Magyars came into the country, at the end of the 10th century, they preserved the names of Buddha and Pest, which they found for these two places, the origin of Pest proper is obscure, but the name, apparently derived from the old Slavonic Pestge, a stove like Ofen, the German name of Buddha, seems to point to an early Slavonic settlement, the Romans never gained a foothold on the side of the river, when it first appears in history Pest was essentially a German settlement, and a chronicler of the 13th century describes it as, Villa Teutonica Ditissima. Christianity was introduced early in the 11th century, in 1241 Pest was destroyed by the Tatars, after whose departure in 1244 it was created a royal free city by Belaide, and repeopled with colonists of various nationalities. The succeeding period seems to have been one of considerable prosperity, though Pest was completely eclipsed by the sister town of Buda with its fortress and palace. This fortress and palace were built by King Belaide, in 1247, and were the nucleus round which the town of Buda was built, which soon gained V.04P.068 to great importance, and became in 1361 the capital of Hungary. In 1526 Pest was taken and pillaged by the Turks and from 1541 to 1686 Buda was the seat of a Turkish Pasha. Pest in the meantime entirely lost its importance, and on the departure of the Turks was left little more than a heap of ruins. Its favorable situation and the renewal of former privileges helped it to revive, and in 1723 it became the seat of the highest Hungarian officials. Maria Theresa and Joseph I.I. did much to increase its importance but the rapid growth which enabled it completely to outstrip Buddha belongs entirely to the 19th century. A signal proof of its vitality was given in 1838 by the speed and ease with which it recovered from a disastrous inundation that destroyed 3,000 houses. In 1848 Pest became the seat of the revolutionary diet, but in the following year the insurgents had to retire before the Austrians under Windeschkreutz. A little later the Austrians had to retire in their turn leaving a garrison in the fortress of Buda, and, while the Hungarians endeavored to capture this position, General Hansi retaliated by bombarding Pest, doing great damage to the town. In 1872 both towns were united into a one municipality. In 1896 took place here the Millennium Exhibition, in celebration of the thousandth anniversary of the foundation of the Kingdom of Hungary. Bibliography the official publications of the Budapest Communal Bureau of Statistics have acquired a European repute for their completeness, and their fearless exposure of shortcomings has been an element in the progress of the town. Reference should also be made to separate works of the director of that institution, Dr. Joseph de Colorosi, known in England for his discovery of the law of marital fertility, published by the Royal Society, and by his labors in the development of comparative international statistics. His Statistique Internationale des Grandes Villes and Bulletin Annual des Finances des Grandes Villes give valuable comparative data. See also Diasterikis Kandorisky Monarchy Inward and Bildween, 1886-1902, 24 volumes, volumes EI, published in 1893, is devoted to Budapest, OBR, Budaun, a town and district of British India, in the Rohilkhand Division of the United Provinces. 
The town is near the left bank of the river Sop. Hop. 1901-39.031. There are ruins of an immense fort and a very handsome mosque of imposing size, crowned with a dome, and built in 1223 in great part from the materials of an ancient Hindu temple. The American Methodist Mission maintains several girls' schools, and there is a high school for boys. According to tradition Budon was founded about AD 905, and an inscription, probably of the 12th century, gives a list of 12 Africans reigning at Budon called Bodameyuta, the first authentic historical event connected with it. However, is its capture by Kutbuddin in 1196, after which it became a very important post on the northern frontier of the Delhi Empire. In the 13th century two of its governors, Shamsuddin Al-Tamsh, the builder of the great mosque referred to above, and his son Rukhnuddin Firaz, attained the imperial throne. In 1571 the town was burnt, and about a hundred years later, under Shah Jahan, the seat of the governorship was transferred to Bareilly, after which the importance of Budon declined. It ultimately came into the power of the Rohiyas, and in 1838 was made the headquarters of a British district. In 1857 the people of Budon sided with the mutineers, and a native government was set up, which lasted until General Penny's victory at Kikrala April 1858 led to the restoration of British authority. The district of Budiawan has an area of 1987 square meters pop. 1901 January 2nd 753. The country is low, level, and is generally fertile, and watered by the Ganges, the Ranganga, the Sad or Yarwathadar and the Mihawad, Budon district was ceded to the British government in 1801 by the Nawab of Oud. There are several indigo factories. The district is crossed by two lines of the Oud and Rohilkand Railway, and by a narrow gauge line from Bareilly. The chief center of trade is Belsi, B-U-D-D-U's, Johann Ephorianzi 1667-1729, German Lutheran Divine, was born at Enclan, a town of Pomerania, where his father was pastor. He studied with great distinction at Greifswald and at Wittenberg, and having made a special study of languages, theology and history, was appointed professor of Greek and Latin at Coburg in 1692, professor of moral philosophy in the University of Halle in 1693, and in 1705 professor of theology at Jena. Here he was held in high esteem, and in 1715 became primaries of his faculty and member of the consistory. His principal works are, Leipzig. Of Mainz Historisches Lexicon Leipzig, 1709 Ithaf, Historia, Ecclesiastic of Heparized Testamenti 4 Volumes, Halle, 1709, Elementa Philosophiae Practici, Instrumentalis, et Theoretici 3 Volumes, 1697, Selectigeris Naturae et Gentium Halle, 1704, Miscellaneous Aqua 3 Volumes, Jena. 1727, and Isagoge Historico Theologica ad Theologium Universum, Singularski Jews Parts 2 Volumes, 1727, Buddha, according to the Buddhist theory see Buddhism, a, Buddha, appears from time to time in the world and preaches the true doctrine, after a certain lapse of time this teaching is corrupted and lost, and is not restored till a new Buddha appears, in Europe, Buddha is used to designate the last historical Buddha, whose family name was Gautama, and who was the son of Sudodana, one of the chiefs of the tribe of the Esakias, one of the republican clans then still existent in India. We are accustomed to find the legendary and the miraculous gathering, like a halo, around the early history of religious leaders.
until the sober truth runs the risk of being altogether neglected for the glittering and edifying falsehood. The Buddha has not escaped the fate which has befallen the founders of other religions, and as late as the year 1854 Professor Wilson of Oxford read a paper before the Royal Asiatic Society of London in which he maintained that the supposed life of Buddha was a myth, and Buddha himself merely an imaginary being. No one, however, would now support this view, and it is admitted that, under the mass of miraculous tales which have been handed down regarding him, there is a basis of truth already sufficiently clear to render possible an intelligent history. The circumstances under which the future Buddha was born were somewhat as follows. In the 6th century BC the Aryan tribes had long been settled far down the valley of the Ganges. The old childlike joy in life so manifest in the Vedas had died away, the worship of nature had developed or degenerated into the worship of new and less pure divinities, and the Vedic songs themselves, whose freedom was little compatible with the spirit of the age, had faded into an obscurity which did not lessen their value to the priests. The country was politically split up into a little principalities, most of them governed by some petty despot, whose interests were not often the same as those of the community. There were still, however, about a dozen free republics, most of them with aristocratic government, and it was in these that reforming movements met with most approval and support. A convenient belief in the doctrine of the transmigration of souls satisfied the unfortunate that their woes were the natural result of their own deeds in a former birth, and, though unavoidable now, might be escaped in a future state of existence by present good conduct, while hoping for a better fate in their next birth. The poor turned for succor and advice in this to the aid of astrology witchcraft and animism a belief in which seems to underlie all v.04p.0683 religions, and still survives even in England, the inspiriting wars against the enemies of the Aryan people, the infidel deniers of the Aryan gods, had given place to a succession of internecine feuds between the chiefs of neighboring clans, in literature an age of poets had long since made way for an age of commentators and grammarians, who thought that the old poems must have been the work of gods, but the darkest period was succeeded by the dawn of the Reformation, traveling logicians were willing to maintain these against all the world, whilst here and there ascetics strove to erase themselves above the gods, and hermits earnestly sought for some satisfactory solution of the mysteries of life. These were the teachers whom the people chiefly delighted to honor, though the ranks of the priesthood were forever firmly closed against intruders. A man of labor, a Kshatriya or Vaisha, whose mind revolted against the Orthodox creed, and whose heart was stirred by mingled zeal and ambition, might find through these irregular orders an entrance to the career of a religious teacher and reformer. The Esakia clan was then seated in a tract of country probably two or three thousand square miles in extent, the chief town of which was Cape Ilavastu, situated about 27 degrees 37 n by 83 degrees 11 e some days journey north of Benares. Their territory stretched up into the lower slopes of the mountains, and was mostly in what is now Nepal but it included territory now on the British side of the frontier. It is in this part of the Esakia country that the interesting discovery was made of the monument they erected to their famous clansmen. From their well-watered rice fields, the main source of their wealth, they could see the giant Himalayas looming up against the clear blue of the Indian sky. Their supplies of water were drawn from the river Rohini, the modern Kana, and though the use of the river was in times of drought the cause of disputes between the Esakias and the neighboring Kolians. The two clans were then at peace, and two daughters of a chieftain of Kohli, which was only 11 meters east of Cape Ilavastu, were the principal wives of Sudodana. Both were childless, and great was the rejoicing when, 
in about the 45th year of her age, the elder sister, Ma'amaya promised her husband a son, in due time she started with the intention of being confined at her parents' home, but the party halting on the way under the shade of some lofty sand trees, in a pleasant garden called Lumbini on the riverside, her son, the future Buddha, was there unexpectedly born, the exact site of this garden has been recently rediscovered, marked by an inscribed pillar put up by Ahsoka C.J.R.A.S. 1898. He was in after years more generally known by his family name of Gautama, but his individual name was Siddhartha. When he was 19 years old he was married to his cousin Yasabari daughter of a Kolian chief, and gave himself up to a life of luxury. This is the solitary record of his youth, we hear nothing more till, in his 29th year, it is related that, driving to his pleasure grounds one day, he was struck by the sight of a man utterly broken down by age, on another occasion by the sight of a man suffering from a loathsome disease, and some months after by the horrible sight of a decomposing corpse, each time his charioteer, whose name was Chana, told him that such was the fate of all living beings, soon after he saw an ascetic walking in a calm and dignified manner, and asking who that was, was told by his charioteer the character and aims of the wanderers, the traveling teachers, who played so great a part in the intellectual life of the time. The different accounts of these visions vary so much as to cast great doubts on their accuracy, and the oldest one of all Angatara, I-145 speaks of ideas only, not of actual visions. It island however, clear from what follows, that about this time the mind of the young Rajput must, from some cause or other, have been deeply stirred. Many an earnest heart full of disappointment or enthusiasm has gone through a similar struggle has learnt to look upon all earthly gains and hopes as worse than vanity, has envied the calm life of the cloister, troubled by none of these things, and has longed for an opportunity of entire self-surrender to abstinence and meditation, subjectively, though not objectively, these visions may be supposed to have appeared to Gautama, after seeing the last of them, he is said, in the later accounts, to have spent the afternoon in his pleasure grounds by the riverside, and having bathed, to have entered his chariot in order to return home. Just then a messenger arrived with the news that his wife Yasabara had given birth to a son, his only child. This, said Gautama quietly, is a new and strong tie I shall have to break. But the people of Cape Ilavasta were greatly delighted at the birth of the young heir, the Raja's only grandson. Gautama's return became an ovation, musicians preceded and followed his chariot, while shouts of joy and triumph fell on his ear. Among these sounds one especially attracted his attention. It was the voice of a young girl, his cousin, who sang a stanza, saying, Happy the father, happy the mother, happy the wife of such a son and husband. In the word, happy, lay a double meaning, it meant also freed from the chains of rebirth, delivered, saved, grateful to a one who, at such a time, reminded him of his highest hopes, Gautama, to whom such things had no longer any value took off his collar of pearls and sent it to her. She imagined that this was the beginning of a courtship, and began to build daydreams about becoming his principal wife. But he took no further notice of her and passed on. That evening the dancing girls came to go through the Natch dances, then as now so common on festive occasions in many parts of India, but he paid them no attention, and gradually fell into an uneasy slumber. At midnight he awoke, the dancing girls were lying in the ante-room, and overpowering loathing filled his soul. He arose instantly with a mind fully made up, roused into activity, says the Sinhalese Chronicle, like a man who was told that his house is on fire, 
he called out to know who was on guard, and finding it was his charioteer Channa, he told him to saddle his horse. While Channa was gone Siddhartha gently opened the door of the room where Yasadara was sleeping, surrounded by flowers, with one hand on the head of their child. He had hoped to take the babe in his arms for the last time before he went, but now he stood for a few moments irresolute on the threshold looking at them. At last the fear of awakening Yasadara prevailed, he tore himself away promising himself to return to them as soon as his mind had become clear, as soon as he had become a Buddha, i.e. enlightened, and then he could return to them not only as husband and father, but as teacher and savior. It is said to have been broad moonlight on the full moon of the month of July, when the young chief, with Chana as his sole companion, leaving his father's home, his wealth and social position, his wife and child behind him, went out into the wilderness to become a penniless and despised student and a homeless wanderer. This is the